0: The, the Minninger Clinic is maybe the world's best treatment facility for mental illness. Uh, they treat anxiety, they treat addiction, they treat eating disorders, they treat all kinds of psychiatric issues. Um, it was founded by the late Dr. Carl uh, Minninger. It was in Topeka, Kansas back then. It's in uh, Houston, I think, now. Um, and because Dr. Minninger helped so many people that his practice grew extremely rapidly. It got big fast. And during those, that sort of second stage of that clinic, he found himself pretty frustrated in what were suddenly lagging results. They were doing the same like treatments, the same processes, with the people with the same kind of problems. But the the results weren't as good. And so he he really started studying and and examining what was going on. And then he put a new plan into place. And on a hunch that he had. And the plan was this. He got all of the staff uh, together and he ordered in a loving way. But he ordered that everyone, doctors, nurses, orderly staff, Treat all of their patients more lovingly. That was the plan. What he he thought was that the stress of this growing practice and the, the crunch of having so many patients, it put so much stress on the staff, it was working over into their attitudes, and it was a barrier to people, the healing that people needed. So that was the plan. Everybody has to be more loving. And six months later, he looked at kind of their data from the past six months and they were right back to being as as beneficial to people as they ever had been. Human beings need love. Now, ultimately, the love we need comes from God. God. And the only way, the Bible's very clear, the only way you and I can be loved by God is if we approach God through the cross. There's no other way to receive God's love than the way He has loved us first, through the sacrifice of His Son. Once we are Christians, though, we are supposed to sort of go to the spigot of God's love at the cross and fill up, and then we are supposed to sort of distribute love on God's behalf toward a world that needs it so badly. Where we're at in the book of Romans sort of the big picture. We spent 11 chapters talking about the belief system of Christianity, and now in chapter 12, 12, 12.1 through 15.13, Paul's going to teach us what the Christian life looks like. What should my life be like if I believe, Romans 1-11, through if I'm redeemed, saved, justified by faith in Christ, as Paul would say it. He said the most logical thing we can do is to give our bodies back to God as a sacrifice. Living, holy, and pleasing to God. Everything we're going to be studying for the next couple of months, except for Christmas, is about what that looks like. If I'm a living sacrifice, I will look like... Whatever we're going to study. From the small picture, we're in a little mini subsection of that about loving others. We started it last week. Paul said, if we are a living sacrifice, we will love other people. And we defined love this way last week. Love is the desire to and the work put towards seeing God's best done in someone else's life. So if I love you with a biblical love, that means I want to see God's definition, what God would say is best, happening in your life. And I'm willing to work towards seeing that done. That's what loving someone else means. We talked a lot about that last week. Today's passage is a continuation of even that sentence we were reading last week. So if you weren't here last week and you haven't seen that, I would would really encourage you to go on our Facebook page, uh, search for Imperial Berean on YouTube, and you'll find it on there. Or the audio through our website. What is love? Because that's what we've been commanded to love one another. And last week we looked at what that means. I have to be honest. I have to hate evil. But I have to be honest and hate evil toward even toward you in a way that works toward your honor. That's where we're at, where we pick up this morning. And today, as Paul continues to teach us to love one another, before we go on, I think I need to let you in on a little secret about loving people. And that's this loving others can be exhausting, loving others can be very thankless, very difficult. And I think it's very important that you know this. Because I think it's really easy as Christians to maybe hear a sermon like last week or this week and kind of go, you know, he's right. I'm supposed to work to seek God's best on someone else's life. I'm going to do this. And it's really easy to sort of dip our toe in that water and try it out. But if we do that, we might discover an interesting thing. The people we're trying to love don't necessarily love us back. And it's not how we think this is going to go down. We, we do have romantic notions about love. We tend to think that love is about what I get out of this, how this makes me feel. And so we try to do something like the Bible tells us or Pastor Matt tells us to do, and we try to love somebody else. We want to see God's best done in their life, and then we find out they don't even want God's best in their own life. Or they, they, they don't see my love as being love, and they attack me. And so we go, well, well that stinks. I'm not doing that anymore. We think loving others is going to be immediately rewarding, uplifting, energizing. But it's not about what I get. We have to, have to, have to remember what the supreme act of love in the history of our universe looked like. It wasn't energizing to the Lord. It wasn't, uh, it didn't feel good. Like it it was humiliating. It was painful. Loving people can be difficult, frustrating work. Which brings me to this very important question. Do you remember the original Karate Kid movie? Do you remember when Daniel-san convinced Mr. Miyagi to teach him the karate? This is an old reference, so sorry. So this kid, Daniel, he, 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 this, this great teacher, he, he convinced him to teach him karate. And so he shows up and he thinks training is going to be like, we're going to break some boards and then I'm going to be a ninja. Right? But what was his training like? Say the words. Some of you know it. <laughs> All right, wax on, wax off. Right? Sandy floor, big circle. Right? Pain defense, up, down, up, down. Mm, whole fence. Uh, both sides, right? And daniel sounds like, I didn't sign up for this. I just want to kick some fools, right? I didn't come here to do your chores. And he had no idea that they were headed someplace good. When we decide to get into the business of loving people, It's easy to think that life is going to be like the all-valley karate championships and everybody's going to think I'm awesome for how loving of a guy I am. It is much more wax on, wax off, sandy floor, big circles, paint the fence over and over and over. But listen, we're going someplace good. We will get there. It will ultimately be worth it. Love will win in the end. But I don't want you to be misled because I'm encouraging you to get out there and and love folks, love one another, love people outside of this, uh, this congregation. But I don't want you to be misled and thinking this is going to be awesome. It's not always. There are times where where. It is encouraging and uplifting, but it's not consistently, it's just not. If you want your life to be safe and easy, don't love. If you want your life to be safe and easy, don't love. It's easier and it's safer. I didn't say it's better. I didn't say it's more Christ-honoring, because it's not. Look at what C.S. Lewis wrote about this in his book, The Four Loves. He said, To love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything, and your heart will certainly be wrung and possibly be broken. If you want to make sure of keeping your heart intact, you must give your heart to no one, not even to an animal. You, you want to wrap it up carefully around with hobbies and a little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or the coffin of your selfishness. But know this, in that casket, it'll be safe. It'll be dark, but it'll be motionless and airless. Your heart will change. It won't be broken. It will become Unbreakable impenetrable, irredeemable. And then later in the work he says this, the only place outside of heaven where you can be perfectly safe from all the dangers of love is in hell. No one will ever have to worry about loving someone else there. Love is risky. It's often painful. It's often frustrating. But it is our Command like our singular command from the Lord Jesus. A new command I give you to love one another. Where we pick up today, Paul has just told us already, verses 9 and 10, we won't look at those today, but he's told us to have a real and a true love for one another. But Paul knows how hard of work this is. So that's why he says today what he says today. Romans chapter 12, verses 11 through 16, there's our passage They read this way. So notice this isn't a capital letter. This is continuing on from what he's already said about having a real, honest, non-hypocritical love that that, uh, hates evil and goes after the honor of another person. And Paul says this, Not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer. Contrib- contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. Bless those who persecute. You bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not be haughty or arrogant in mind, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. There's our passage. Now, here's what I see Paul doing in this passage. He's already told us to love. He knows how hard this, that is. So in verses 11 and 12, Paul lays out for us what I'm going to call love's persistence cycle. If you want to get in the business of loving other people, this is the cycle you've got to be in. That's verses 11 and 12. Paul starts. Verse 11 saying this, do not lag in zeal. He's talking about loving others. Do not lag in zeal or, or in other words, be enthusiastic in spirit. Basically, Paul's saying this, I just told you to love people. So if you want to do that, step one is this, stay diligent to love people. You have to be intentional and decide I'm going to love people. It doesn't just accidentally happen. If you just convinced yourself you're a loving person, but you can't really point at anything you do to work towards God's best in someone else, I might want to just search my heart. Am I diligent in loving others? Don't lag in that. Hang in there. Don't quit. It's easy to quit. This word for be enthusiastic, zeo is the, is the Greek word. You know what that's the Greek word for? Boiling. Boiling. Paul says, boil in your spirit to love one another. This is one of those places, some of your Bibles might have a capital S here on this spirit, which is fine. It's one of those places where I can't tell you if Paul means to boil in your own spirit or through the Holy Spirit. For a Christian, I don't think it matters. But there's no capital letters in the Greek, so you can't tell. But Paul's just saying you've got to stay fired up to keep loving people. Be diligent. That's step one. So maybe ask yourself, what kind of things kindle my fire, bring me to a simmer to love other people? I need to identify some of those things and do those things. We'd better stay in the word. For me, like certain Christian music that's like out of my love language, there are times where I, I go in my office, I pull my little blind down, and I just sing to the Lord. It kindles my fire to love others. Some of us need an accountability partner to challenge us to be, what are you doing to love someone? What, what kindles, what, what stokes your fire to love someone else? We need to figure out what that is. Do more of that. Because step one, be diligent. Don't lag in zeal for loving other people. That's step one. Now step two is right here. Paul says serve the Lord. So he's told us to love. He's told us to be diligent, to hang in there. Don't quit. I know it's easy to quit. Step two is this. Remember it is the Lord you are serving even though you are loving a different person. Here's why that is important to keep in mind. Because the nature of love he told us last week, it has to be non-hypocritical. It's got to hate evil. It's got to work toward the honor of the other person. If I love someone with that kind of biblical love, um, they won't always like it. They won't always respond well. The microphone's really struggling this morning, sorry. Um... So I'd better go in with a mindset like, Lord, I am doing this for you. I'm not doing this for what I might get out of this. I'm doing this out of an act of obedience and love because I want to give my life, my body, back to you as that living sacrifice. This is sacrificial. I am doing this for the Lord. Stay diligent to love others and keep in mind, ultimately, it is the Lord you serve when you love someone else. Because the Lord can be, can be pleased with that act of love, even if the person I am loving is not. I've got to keep that. It helps me not quit. So be diligent. Understand you're serving the Lord. Step three is this, very much related. Rejoice in hope. And I'm going to add in parentheses, rejoice in hope, not in results. Rejoice in your hope, O Christian, not in the results you get after you love someone. I'm going to explain this by asking you to imagine a hypothetical. Your own, individual hypothetical. If you are going to do one thing this next week, to love someone else, just to work toward helping them know you want to see God's best done in their life. You have to hate evil, you have to be honest, but you have to work toward their honor. Okay, imagine something. Now just in your, in your flesh, just the way you're naturally built, what would make the difference in how you feel about that interaction when you get done? What makes the difference whether or not you celebrate that or feel really terrible after it's done? what would make the difference? My assumption is, what will make the difference is, how that person responds when you go toward them. Right? Right? I make this plan, and I, I go, maybe I, I have to go have a difficult conversation with my brother John. Right? I've seen something that we need to work through, and so I'm going to go. But in my mind, John repents in tears and sackcloth and ashes. Right? But in reality... He tells me to get bent and kick rocks. Right? I can't control his response. So I better make sure that I have my joy. I'm going to get my joy from my real hope. Not in, in this case, John's response. So what, what is your hope, O oh Christian? Your hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness, right? Your hope has already hid with Christ on high. Your hope is a reality, a living hope that can't be taken away. It's stored in heaven for you. You're being preserved for it. That is your hope. That's where I get my joy, so if I'm going to get in the business of loving people, I need to be diligent. I need to know I'm serving the Lord, and I need to make sure that I get my joy, not in the results of what I get out of this, but in the, just from the God I am serving while I'm doing it. And my hope has not been scratched, regardless of whether I get love reciprocated to me in this or not. That is, that is really really important to keep in mind. And here is why. If we are not willing to rejoice only in our hope and not in the results, if my joy of loving from loving other people only comes from the good responses I get, here's what will start to happen. I will only love people that I already know how they will respond. And my circle of love will grow very Very small. And ultimately, what's happening is really, I'm not loving other people. I'm really loving myself because I'm only trying to get that warm feeling. If I just do this, they're going to make me feel awesome. I already know how they're going to respond. It's going to be great. And we're missing out on loving the people who need love the most. So rejoice, get your joy from your real hope. Not in reciprocation, not in results, in Christ alone. When you get the results you would like and when you get results you really hate. So, so far, be, stay fired up to love people. It's our job, it's our command. Make sure you remember you're serving the Lord and rejoice in your hope not in the results. Step four. Speaking of not getting the results you would like, next thing Paul says is endure in suffering. Now that doesn't sound like this is always going to go well, does it? This is part of why it's so important to rejoice in our hope and not in results. Paul grants Suffering will be part of this process. And suffering is a powerful word. You know, this is why Paul didn't say, rejoice when that person responds the way you would like. We rejoice in our hope and then we endure. Sometimes we get to rejoice in their response too. I'm not saying you don't rejoice if your sister repents. Right? Or if the the situation gets worked out or that other person is really moved, we can rejoice in those things too. But there are times we just have to endure the suffering that comes with loving people. Remember what real love looked like on the cross. Sometimes that's our model. Keep sanding the floor, keep painting the fence. And I I love that he uses the word suffering because it takes this out of it, right? Uh, It's not like, well, if you were really just doing this for the Lord, you wouldn't care that that person said what they said to you. That's bogus. In fact, it's silly and it's kind of stupid. When people say hurtful things, sometimes it, I don't know, hurts. If you try to really love someone and they kick you clear out of their life, and they're a part of your family, the Christian thing to do is not say, well, why do you, why does it hurt so much? You're just doing that for the Lord. What? Endure in, what's the word?
1: Suffering.
0: Like, sometimes this really, really hurts. It's, it's important to understand that can be part of the good process. <laughs> Stay fired up to love. Understand you're serving the Lord. Rejoice in your real hope, not in the results or the reciprocation. Endure suffering when it happens. And then step five, persist in prayer. Persist in prayer. Here's why step five is persist in prayer because none of us will hang in there and do this without it. If you get to step four, all right, I'm going to try this, Lord. I'm boiling in my spirit. Here's how I'm going to go love this person. I know I'm serving you. I'm going to rejoice in my hope. And bang, it falls apart. It really, really hurts. Just naturally in your heart, what what are you going to want to say at that point? I am done. I am never doing this again. Step five is the only thing that will get us out of that. In fact, here's where we will stop naturally. If suffering ever happens from loving someone else, we're like, whoa, I'm out, I'm done. And I think I know why we don't want to pray about that. Because I know why I don't want to pray about that. Because in my spirit, I know if I go to the Lord, I know what he's going to tell me. And I don't want to hear it. Because he's going to tell me, Maxwell, sand the floor. Big circle. But God, I thought I'd be a love ninja by now. I thought this would be going great. Paint the fence, keep going. This is the command I have given you love one another. So I've got to persist in prayer even during the suffering goes like this, God, did you hear what she said to me? God, did you see what he did? How he accused me when I was just trying to love him? Did you see that? <laughs> okay, Lord, do you know what it feels like when people you are trying to love reject you? God, is this how it made you feel when I rejected you? even when you were loving me. Is this what Paul means Lord by sharing in your sufferings? I guess thank you for allowing me to share in your sufferings even though it's not what I picked. And for me I got to go with I got to go right back into what makes me diligent. See when you try to love somebody and they don't reciprocate it's like they pour cold water into your pot that's supposed to be boiling. So we've got to persist in prayer. I've got to turn on my music. I've got to sing to the Lord. And before long, I'll feel my heart start to simmer again. Okay, we can do this, Lord. You loved me when I was your enemy. I can get back on that horse. I can pick up that paintbrush. Move to the other side of the fence. And keep going. Lather. Rinse, repeat, stay diligent. I'm supposed to do this. We're going to do this. I'm serving you, Lord. I'm going to rejoice in the hope I have in you, not in whether or not how they respond. If they respond, we're going to celebrate together. If not, I'm going to come right back to you. I'm going to endure this suffering. I'm going to persist in prayer, and you're going to point me in a new direction to love someone else over and over and over. Now, does that make sense? feedback would be great here does that make sense lie to me I don't even care just like nod your heads Um, does that at all help fire you up to try this to do this to be more likely to do this now and before I I hope so that was my idea but what are we actually going to do well I'm glad you asked because that's the rest rest of the passage we're going to go through it really quickly Verses 13 through 16, I think, are five ideas Paul gives us to love others. There are more. But that's what we, if we're going to be in that cycle of loving others, here's some ideas. Paul says first, verse 13, contribute to the needs of the saints. The saints are just a word for Christians. In the New Testament, the word saint was not some uh, extra class. The varsity Christians is just what they called People who believe in Jesus. This was a very true in Paul's day, or very needed in Paul's day. Christianity, first, attracted a lot of poor people. It always has. And second, there were sometimes ramifications for converting to Christ. People lost jobs and stuff like that. That still happens in parts of the country. But that doesn't mean it's not still important for us. The church has a special responsibility to meet the financial needs of its own. Hang in there. Keep through. That's one, way we, one thing we can do to love others. That's one idea. Next one right here. Another idea, pursue hospitality. Some of our English versions say practice hospitality. I like this one better because I think it's a stronger word. Pursue, look for intentionally ways to get people in your home, especially people in your church, to share a meal together. Something happens when we eat together. Pursue this again. Not just the people that you know will react well. Oh, but Pastor Matt, now that you've said this, this is going to seem so forced, and it's going to be weird, and it's going to be awkward. And don't tell me who to have over to my house. You know what Paul would say? Make sure you have your hope set on your uh, your joy set on your real hope, and not in results. Might it be awkward? Should that stop us? I don't think so. That's an idea. Pursue hospitality. Here's a fun one Bless those who persecute you, bless, and do not curse. Okay, wow. That sounds hard. Romans 12:2, Paul said, um, Don't conform to this world. Be transformed. You want to be different from the world in a good way? The people who are mean to you, bless them. Ask God to bless them. Refuse to desire what is bad for them. Do something kind for the one who is mean. This is a uniquely Christian ethic when Jesus made this up. This is Paul reiterating what Jesus taught earlier and it was brand new. There's a reason no one had thought of this one before, right? (laughs) Next idea. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. There's two things there. I want to put them together. Pay attention to the order. Paul says rejoice with those who rejoice first because I'm pretty sure it's the hard one. Weep with those who weep. For most of us, comes a little easier. It's, for most of us, it's hard to not feel bad when someone else is going through something really terrible. Right? You don't even have to like them all that much. If one of their parents dies, you, you can't help it. Right? If every time something bad is happening for someone else, you just kind of go into a place in your heart where well, they probably had it coming, like you have some heart work to do. You've had your heart locked away too long. We, I need to help you. That one's easier. But when someone else is rejoicing in something in this world, when someone else's business is doing really well, when someone else's crops are yielding really high and they market their grain at just the right time, when someone else's kid gets the spot in the starting lineup, when... When someone else's kid gets a super high score on the ACT or gets invited to the birthday party, just naturally, what are the emotions that pop up in your heart? How many of you said, I rejoice? Hey, good. We don't have to switch to a passage online now. So what do we do with that? Did you know what Paul commanded us right here? Rejoice with those who rejoice. What do we do? You know what we do? The first thing we do is we have to recognize that jealousy and that envy and that hatred I feel is actually wrong. I have to, I, that's called confession. Like it's natural, it's normal, but I've got to stop playing the game where I justify it. And to get back in that cycle. Persistent prayer, Lord, I'm not doing this right, because I'm eaten up with jealousy right now. Lord, help change my heart. Can you work on my heart so that I can actually rejoice, even though maybe they are getting something that I had my heart set on? That's what we're actually finding. We're finding when that happens, we're finding where I had my hope set. Because I had my hope set on something someone else got. I need to reset my hope where it belongs. Because that hasn't been touched. And then maybe the Lord will leave me and text that person, hey, I'm really glad that that happened for you. And I can call them and say, hey, even though I gotta, I'll be honest, that's what I wanted. I wish that was me, but I'm really glad it's you. That's where we try to get Maybe just a text, congratulations. And then later, we can go slash their tires. Okay? No, 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 no. Okay. Last one is all one, one uh, unit. Live in harmony with one another. Don't be haughty. Uh, associate with the lowly. Don't be conceited. That last part is the, the real thing here. Make sure we're not just loving a certain clientele because if we're not careful, the people we will love, we love, we actually are using to make ourselves feel better about us. Right? This is the James 2 thing. Somebody comes in, dressed nice, gold rings. Like, oh, by all means, have my seat. Somebody else comes in, not dressed very good, not very clean. What are you doing sitting here? Right? Right? No one ever loved anyone of a of a lower class, a bigger gap in class than the way that God of the universe loved you through Christ. You cannot outstoop the way he has stooped. There's some ideas of how to do what Paul's asked us to do. Main idea is, is the cycle. Stay diligent, boiling in your spirit to love others. Remember, it's the Lord you are serving. Rejoice in your actual hope. Don't try to get your, your hope in results, it'll shrink your love um, opportunities and circle. Endure that suffering and persist in prayer. Lather, rinse, repeat. Which brings us to a great transition into what we're going to do next. We're going to celebrate. Communion. And I said, I said earlier, this is we are remembering through the the bread and the fruit of the vine, the body and the blood of Jesus Christ, the supreme example of, of love in the history of the universe. So let's let's use like the let's do the communion test on our love cycle here. Let's grade Jesus how He did. Okay? Did Jesus stay diligent no matter what? I'm committed to this. Yes. Did he know, even though it was something he didn't want to do, he was serving the Lord? Father, if there's any other way to do this. But not my will be done. Thy will be done. Did he he keep his, his hope, his joy set on his real hope? Author of Hebrews says something like, It was for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. Did he endure suffering? How did he pull that off? No one in the whole Bible prays more than Jesus. He is our example. So I want to point that out. But even more than our example, he's our Savior. So if you want to open, work on opening the, uh, the top layer of foil, the clear one with the, the, the black letters, prepare together. Pray with me. Father God, we hold these little wafers of bread in our hand as a way to remind us that your son was diligent to love. He served you even though it was difficult. He, he made sure that his, his joy, his, his hope was fixed on the joy that was coming for him. He endured great suffering. He persisted in prayer. He is our example. But first he was our savior. He went through what he went through to love us. And he demonstrated that in the last night before his arrest, or the night of his arrest, by handing out bread to his friends and saying, this is my body, it's broken for you. Thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name, I amen. Do this in remembrance of the Lord Jesus. Father God, um, our sin demanded payment. Um, Something had to die in our place, and and the Bible's clear. You told us that the blood of bulls and goats can't take away sins. We needed a sinless Savior to absorb your wrath on our behalf. As we open these little cups of juice, we remember that the blood Jesus shed really should have been our blood, but he bled on our behalf. So thank you, Lord, for, for saving us through the blood of Jesus in his name. Amen. If you're struggling, it's the silver part, not necessarily. I'm going to have to eat this entire thing. I <laughs> hmm. should have put a can opener in these things, I think. <laughs> oh, about there. Okay. light of that, but that was frustrating. Do this in remembrance of the bloodshed for you. Amen. Musicians, if you would come up, please. We will close with our uh, sort of communion song. Pray with me. Father God, thank you so much for dying on the cross. Lord Jesus, um, standing in our place between the wrath of God and me, and we believe that you died for us, like because of us, and instead of us, it is the basis of our faith, but God, it's also the supreme example of how you want us to love others, sacrificially, diligently, absorbing whatever suffering may come, but our hope is set on the joy that is to come. Make us lovers of people like your son. In Jesus' name. Amen. Stand and finish with us. said um one more idea of how you might love somebody in the near future maybe Uh, again we're splitting the two services next week but one really hard thing to do whether you're Christian or not is walk in the doors of a new church how many of you remember doing that ain't easy you may have some people who it might be especially hard for as they walk in the door coming soon how could you love someone walking through that difficult situation with an open heart? I am so glad you're here. You're my brother or sister in Christ. We're going to do this together. Kapish? Love you guys. See you next week.
1: Take this medication transportation transportation transportation